Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. Before we begin, I would just like to mention a little bit about what the podcast is about to make sure that if you are a listener who has experienced the loss of a child, one, this podcast could definitely be for you, could hold great meaning for you. But also, I know sometimes when people are in their grieving process, going through their grief journey, that sometimes they're just not ready. So uh, if you are a parent who has lost a child, this would definitely be a podcast to bookmark to maybe come back to, or if you are ready to listen to this story, we really welcome you and your ears to listen to a beautiful story and message that my guest, Vanessa May, has to offer us today. So Vanessa is a London-based nutritional therapist and a well-being coach. Two years ago, her son died unexpectedly, and she started to write as, as a way of processing her grief and trauma. Vanessa now works as a holistic grief coach using a unique mind-body-spirit approach, and her mission is is to support others who have experienced loss through both her work and her book, and her book is entitled Love Untethered. So we're going to learn a little bit more about her and the work that she was doing and now the work that she is doing, and grief sometimes can kind of put you on a totally different trajectory in life, and it sounds like this may have happened to Vanessa. So Vanessa, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yes. All right. So your son, Harry, was 24? Yeah. 24 when he had passed. And this had happened pretty suddenly. And, you know, was wondering if maybe we can start off with what your life was like and how it was moving and going along, you know, the day that your son had died until the day that you found out and then how that began to change your course of life. And, you know, I'm open to you to talk as long as you'd like and however style you would like to kind of also bring us through what your journey with grief has been with losing a child and where it is now. So that's kind of what we're going to move through with this whole podcast. Okay. Well, yes, I was sort of leading a normal life with, with two children, husband living in London in the UK. I was working as a nutritional therapist and a well-being coach. So I was kind of in the area of helping people improve their lives. And yeah, and it was great. And everything was just sort of, you know, ups and downs, normal ups and downs of life. But nothing really terrible, at least nothing quite like what happened, had ever really happened to me before. I'd not even, I was fortunate enough to still have both parents. So I'd lost a couple of friends, which was really hard and grandparents, but nothing that tore my life apart, just grief that I could cope with. So, um, yeah, the, the, the day that we found my son, literally my world 
one door closed completely my on my old life. And it's hard to describe how you just feel there's no there's no way you can return to who you were because you've just become an entirely different person. And everything turns on its axis. Your whole world is is just has done a complete 360 and it's very difficult to do. I think I probably am more articulate in the book actually than I am right now, but it is difficult to put into words unless you've gone through something so utterly life-changing. I was extremely traumatized and later I got a diagnosis of PTSD. But being a nutritional therapist, I was actually quite fascinated by and this was a sort of a trauma response, I have to add, because I, I was sort of amazed with how my body was was suddenly malfunctioning. My heart was racing. I felt sick. I was shaking. I could barely stand. And later on, I I just couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. I had an extreme reaction and it was basically my response to the trauma. Harry was the most lovely, lovely son. He had an enormous heart. His passing shook not just our lives, but that of his friends who have been amazing since and really stepped up for us as a family. So yeah, I, I guess I... I I couldn't continue to work. I was just in sh- in total and utter shock. So I lost my my all my clients, my practice, which was going really well at the time, and it just went. I just had to tell everyone that I and I couldn't take any, on any new clients either. I had to just say I'm bereaved, and I'll get back to you when I feel ready. And I didn't feel ready for eleven months, and even then, I didn't really feel ready. What I become being a coach, I immediately began to look for ways to somehow make this a little bit easier for myself. So I found Compassionate Friends, which is a group for parents. And so you walk into a meeting and you see people who are further down the line than you, and they've actually got dressed and washed and they're making sense. And you think, okay, maybe this is in some way survivable. And then I I, mean, I read, that was my main way of trying to understand grief, which as I say, I hadn't really experienced in this way before. And also because when I saw my son's body, I knew it was just a shell and he was no longer there. And I just knew that meant he was somewhere else and I had to find him. I just had to find him. And that felt a very instinctive feeling, really, that somehow I would have to find a way to, to understand where he'd gone. And it was, yeah, it, it was just a very confusing, confusing time. So reading, reading the stories of other bereaved mothers was enormously helpful because I could relate. And of course, now I've written a book that I hope will help other bereaved parents and anyone who's lost someone, actually, anyone who's experienced a terrible loss. 
it, it, you know, it, it helped me. So I, in turn, you know, hope to help people with love untethered. So reading was helpful. Going to meetings was helpful with other bereaved parents. And then eventually I, I, somebody said to me, why don't you try writing this down? And I thought, yeah, why not anything? Because I was in such a terrible state. And I just started writing. And then I came across David Kessler, who's a grief expert from the US. And he was running a course called Writing Through Grief and Trauma. It was an online course. So I, I took that. And then I was just away. And, and I realized, I thought, this is really helping me. Because I'd gone to a bereavement counselor. Just I didn't find it helped. I thought, well, I can talk to my friends. This isn't doing anything different. I felt... I needed people who were in my position to really kind of go, yeah, I, I get what you're going through. I understand. And I, maybe I didn't find the right person, but it just wasn't helpful. So writing became my therapy. That was my therapy. Right. And, and yeah, so, so that, that really also then eventually led to the germ of an idea that I would have to go back to work eventually. But I just couldn't imagine doing what I did before. I, I just thought, I, I, I've got to use what I'm learning from my reading, my research, from my own experience. So I started to think, well, I'm a coach. And in my training, I did, you know, it was only a small part, a module on grief. And I thought, well, that seems like the way to go. I think I'll become a grief coach. I've since trained with David Kessler again to become a certified grief educator. I took various courses along the way. And that was my way through. I say through, but it's an ongoing process because this is not an easy journey. And even though I'm the kind of person, I mean, I've written another, I was asked to write a second book as well for wellness practitioners. So that's coming out next year. So though I, I sound like, well, I'm writing. I'm now a holistic grief coach. I'm, you know, doing things with my grief. There's no doubt that it helps me, but it doesn't take away from the agony of being without my child because when you've carried another soul for nine months and you connect with them before you even meet them, even though perhaps if you believe in past lives, you probably think you've met them before anyway. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's just, it's a visceral connection you, you have with your child that it's primal, really. So when your child is ripped away from you, it is like nothing else I could possibly describe. So... Yeah, I describe it better in the book, I have to say. Oh, I think you're doing a lovely job. Well, and... And you bring up a good point, too, which is that, you know, OK, I'm writing these books. I've gone through this training. I'm this grief coach, but it's still there. But what I think you're you're attempting to do is finding meaning through your grief, you know, absolutely, absolutely. And, and finding a way to, you know, probably, you know, accept the, the reality of the loss is, you know, one of the things that we've talked about. But then also finding the meaning, you know, in your life, but still you know, incorporating all of this in this whole journey, but through the work that you're doing now probably gives you meaning with the grief. Yes. Thank you for being articulate in a way that I probably wasn't. Absolutely that. 
I'm trying to find meaning because what else do I do with it? Because if I'm reunited with my son, I want him to go, well done, mum. Really did well. I know how hard that was for you to get emotional now, but I can just hear him saying, come on, you're doing great. Well done. That was a very difficult uh, journey. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, carry on. Sorry. No, I was just going to ask you in moving on where you had mentioned just a little while ago about how when you had saw your son's body that you had realized it was just the shell of him. Where was he? And I think that's a, a question that many of us have after somebody passes away. You know, where are they? Is there life after death? And you had said in the book that you went to visit a medium. And mm. I read something really curious where the medium had said to you he wasn't really supposed to live a long life here, you know, that he fulfilled his life. And, you know, I read that and I was like, okay, well, I've heard mediums say that before. You know, is this really true? Or is this just, you know, when somebody is young who passes away that now this is the canned response that mediums can give people to make people feel better. But what made me feel like maybe there was a valid point to that was how you had said you couldn't quite envision your son's life in the future like you could your daughter's. Yeah. So I found that really fascinating because like you said, it's like a primal connection. This is your son. Yet there was something with her saying that, that there was some sort of maybe internal knowing or validated something for you. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the inability to be able to access a vision of what his life would be like mm -hmm. or what, you know, what that meant and how it was different from your daughter's. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it could be that I'm just clutching at straws and it's making it a little bit easier for me to believe that and that the mediums, you know, were just saying what might help me and, and a, a, as you say, just a, an answer that they give. But actually, when she said it, I thought, oh, that makes sense. And And, and so, yeah, and I thought about how and of course, at the t hindsight, it's always a wonderful thing, but I definitely could visualize my daughter being an old lady, but certainly getting married, having kids. When I thought about my son, when he was still here, I never really could quite think what he would be doing, how he would be. It sort of felt a little bit of a blank space, as it were. And the other thing I felt was as he got towards the end of his life, I started to get quite an irrational fear something was going to happen. And I thought, oh, maybe, you know, he'd left home and perhaps it was natural, but I don't think it was that natural. I think it was a little bit, I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not especially psychic. I wouldn't call myself that really, but... I'm quite intuitive, certainly, but it, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just had, I was more concerned about him, worried about something happening to him in a way that I hadn't done in, in you know, his earlier life. So, yeah, that, that's, that's just kind of how it, as I say, in hindsight, you do, you kind of go, oh, yes, I always thought that. I didn't think that. I never saw that for him. And it all slightly begins to, you know, possibly fit into place a bit. But, you know, I must say, I, I, I'm very, you talked about finding meaning and continuing bonds is a very big thing for me. And I 
always talking about it when I'm working with clients, but you can continue your bond. I continue my bond with my son. And the reason the book's called Love Untethered is because at first you think I've got all this love and what am I going to do with it? He's gone. Where's this love going to go? And then gradually, for me anyway, I realized, well, I still give him my love. I still have love for him. That's never, ever going to end. And I feel he gives love back. You know, that's, that's my reality. And some people might question it, but that's for me. That's my truth. I, I, I continue. My love isn't untethered. It goes towards him. 100%. I talk to him. I get signs from him. He does this thing where he feels the side of my head. I just get this sensation that's like this on my head. And I go, hi, Harry. I mean, I wish I was more psychic. I wish I had more mediumistic qualities so I could have, you know, a really good conversation with him. But sometimes if I can be still enough, I do feel he speaks to me and I, I do hear him. But yeah, so that's what keeps me going. My ongoing connection with him. And yeah, I feel it's the spiritual side of grief that can sustain you if you are able to have that belief. And 70% of the population, the world's population, do believe in life after death. So it's quite a big majority. And I'm definitely in. So yeah. Yeah. So maybe this is a, a good time for us to segue into the spiritual bypassing because you just were talking uh, about the spiritual okay. beliefs. And in the beginning of the book, you know, after this had happened, you had written about like seeing, you know, posts on social media that would say, you know, your thoughts create your reality. And then you thinking, well, did I create the reality of my son dying or, you know, other types of of ways that you should be thinking and feeling, you know, better on the spiritual path. So do you want to mention a little bit about what you would categorize as spiritual bypassing and how you eventually came around to have a spiritual connection and how you began to investigate some concepts of like soul contracts and soul groups mm. and and things of that sort to begin to maybe make sense for you of, you know, what had happened to your son? Yeah, I think I was following a lot of, I won't mention, but a lot of spiritual gurus, self-help, motivational speakers who, that, and that was, you know, being a well-being coach, I was all about think positive, think happy thoughts. I bought into a lot of that. So suddenly that just no longer resonated, but my social media feed kept on going with it. And I was like, this is horrendous. These people do not understand. I can't any longer buy into this. I just can't because that's not how life is. Think happy thoughts. Well, my son's dead. I can't just think happy thoughts. Sorry. I, so I just started unfollowing you know, people, not people I knew, but people like I've just described. And uh, yeah, this whole sort of toxic positivity, spiritual bypassing and I also, I went to a few, I went to a Reiki practitioner who was very good actually, but she sort of was quite, it's when people minimize your grief and they say things like, well, we've all lost children in past life or, you know, you just have to rise above it. 
And you just think, well, hold on there. <laughs> it's not as simple as that. This is a big, big thing. This is so major. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I always had a, a spiritual belief, but I just didn't buy into the kind of the whole positive, happy thoughts thing. That's what was, you know, happy vibes. And that's what really, really created a very big disconnect with me. But the more I read and the more I watched YouTube videos and just discovered new people to follow, I found Helping Parents Heal, which is a wonderful organization, which is for parents who've lost children, but they call them shining light parents because they believe that they still have a connection with their children and that's what they advocate. So I found groups like that. And then I started reading about soul contracts and I thought, at first I was like, why would I choose this? If I had a soul contract that before I came here, I thought I'm going to learn a big lesson through losing my child. I can take that on. That'll be fine. Then what was my soul thinking? So at first I was like, that's, I can't believe that's true. But then I started reading, well, the choosing to lose a child is very, you know, if we believe this is earth school and we're here to learn lessons, then losing a child is like a PhD, you know, it's like, it's, a, it's you know, quite advanced. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know. And I just wanted to be open to everything because I just wanted to find a way to make sense of it. And I think probably now further down the line, I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I do believe the soul connection that I have with my son. Definitely. I feel it daily. Do I think we had a soul contract? Quite possibly. I've been to other mediums and they've kind of, you know, backed that up really. But does it make it okay to live this life without my lovely boy? Not really. So although I feel that in terms of spiritual awakening, I'm awake. But if you said, well, you can go back to sleep and you get your boy back, I'd go, all right then. <laughs> because... It, it, that's how painful my life is, but that isn't, that isn't the choice I have. So this is the path I'm meant to walk and, and it's a hard one, but yeah, I, so I, I just became very open to all these ideas and, and they do help me to make sense of what's happened. And, you know, we don't know for sure until we're dead ourselves, but yeah, I, I just, I just really believe that I'll see him again. And in the meantime, he's around me anyway. Right. He's probably listening right now. <laughs> so I also wanted to spend some time on this interview to also talk about grief in the physical body, you know, bringing in your expertise of being the, that nutritional coach and you know, you covered quite extensively some stuff with some of the physical reactions that our body can go through. And there were a couple of things that I thought were really interesting too. And I want, would like you to elaborate just more on like what the shock did to your system, to the body, how the shock of death too can affect our bodies. But you had mentioned, I think it was about the grieving heart, that the grieving heart, I think when pictures were taken of it or when it was studied, can look very much like somebody with heart disease. But if the grief begins to be addressed that the heart itself can change yeah. again. And 
I had a nurse, so I, I do teach Reiki. I had a nurse who worked in a cardiology department that took my Reiki training. And she had told me about this too, that how the way that the heart looks in grieving people is very much the same. And so this was like the second time I'm hearing this. And I found that to be really fascinating. And then the other thing that I learned from your book too was about grief tears, that the tears of grief are, what was it, dehydrated? Or they there there's a different... Um, yeah, they look different under, they, yes, different composition under a microscope. They look different, but yeah, you can become dehydrated. But I think also that's because stress also is dehydrating. So it's partly that because grief is about the biggest stressor you can have. You know, it's a major stress. Um, but yeah, the, the tears look different. But, uh, and going back to the, the broken, broken heart syndrome is a thing, obviously, and the heart does look different. But I suppose we could say the good news is that it can heal. The less good news, and then I'll come on to the better news about that, is that there's a lot of scientific studies to show that if you're a bereaved parent, if you're a widow or widower, then your life expectancy, you're more likely to have a heart attack. Your life expectancy can be shorter, particularly in bereaved parents, and you may go on to have cancer. The good news is if you know this, then you can do something about supporting your physical health and making sure that you're processing your grief and grief in a healthy way through some kind of, you know, either holistic grief coaching or with a good therapist. But gr grief has to be gone through. You can't push it down. Because I don't know if you know the book, The Body Keeps a Score, but uh, The Body Keeps a Score. And so if we don't express our tears and our pain, then it will be held in the body and you are more likely to have health issues. But on a, you, you know, that's the, the far end of the scale. The things that you, you might experience if you've had, because this isn't with every loss. This is if the loss is traumatic and if there's shock. So the things I already mentioned, you know, a racing heart, a shaking, that loss of appetite, insomnia, digestive upsets are really common. So sometimes I'll be working with someone who's had a traumatic loss and then they'll have digestive issues. So they'll, they'll have constipation or they'll have a heartburn or it will come out through the, and that's to do with, I won't go into it particularly here, but the rest and digest part of the nervous system will shut down when we're in fight or flight. So that's why that happens. I do talk about it a little bit in the book, but yeah, obviously because of my background as a nutritional therapist, it was quite fascinating to me, albeit awful that I was experiencing it. But it's helped me offer something in my grief coaching that probably lots of people can't because that was my background. So I do bring that in to working with my clients on an emotional level, a spiritual level, but also physically I can help them to look after, look after their health. But yeah, I think it's overlooked how the physical can be affected because we, we automatically think, oh, grief hurts emotionally but also physically it can as well, definitely. Yeah, you mentioned some really great interventions too and different in interventions that could be very helpful for grief. And you also mentioned that you carried a diagnosis of some PTSD, but you also had in one of the interventions EMDR therapy. 
which I find is really therapeutic, effective, quick, has the ability to really change the brain with trauma and how that's really important. So did you go through EMDR yourself? Well, I'd say, yeah, so I'll, I'll bring up two points. But EMDR, as I mentioned in the book, I had it and it didn't really work for me. I've had it since and it has helped. But what I will say and what I've learned is that it can be quick. And I dread all this research and I think I put it in the book about how in three sessions it can really help. But when I work with the second therapist and the MDR did make a difference, it took a very, very long time. I had 16 sessions. So research saying, oh, in three sessions, yes. And she and the therapist told me that if you had something like a traffic accident, it was a one-off thing, though that may be, that would be easier. But with something like traumatic grief, particularly with child loss, that's going to take a lot longer. And of course, you can do something about the trauma, but you've still got the grief. And although they sort of overlap, they can't, you can separate them out. So you, you can work on the trauma and that can be much more effective EMDR than perhaps sometimes you, you, grief is, is traumatic grief is, is more about learning to, to live with it and accept it and to kind of go, I can't change this, but I can build a life around it and I can live a life of meaning and purpose. But that's, I think, what I meant about toxic positivity earlier. It's like, my grief isn't going to end for my child. It's just not. Mm-hmm. I hope it softens and I hope I find ways to live a life that he'd want me to lead. lead. But, you know, it's still, it's still going to be tricky. But if I can help a few people along the way, then that helps me. Right. And and I think, too, with, you know, traumatic grief, you know, you went over, you had saw your son, you know, at his apartment. Our brain, you know, what I've learned really can get stuck on those images, can get stuck yeah. on the end of life rather than the way that the person lived their life. And yeah. I think, you know, when the trauma through an experience like that can be cleared up a little bit, worked with the PTSD symptoms are you know, begin to decline a little bit and that the brain is now going more towards the pleasant memories rather than the very end. That's when I think, you know, something shifts in the grief experience. Yeah, I think that's generally the case. For me, actually, the writing helped me process the images and the flashbacks. I still had them, but that helped a bit. But what I was left with mainly in my case, and this probably isn't very typical, was that I remained in fight or flight. My anxiety was very very high. And I I did everything I could to bring it down. So that was my main PTSD symptom, really, that I just had a huge amount of anxiety. And I was always anything, any little thing would send me into fight or flight really quickly. And it was, uh, it just drove me mad. So that's that's a lot better, thanks to EMDR. But flashbacks are horrible, you know. And the other thing I talk about in the book, I would drift off to sleep and I'd just be thinking, oh, I'm tired, I'm going to sleep. And suddenly I'd sort of go, and I get this huge adrenaline surge. And that's so unpleasant. That's so unpleasant. So they they have lessened considerably. Some things do get Yeah. You also mentioned that you can feel hairy when he kind of, you know, touches your head there. 
I thought maybe a nice way to kind of conclude our conversation would be if you'd like to share any other after-death communication experiences that you've had with him or signs that for you were like without a shadow of a doubt, you know that was him. It wasn't your imagination by any means. And if you have a story or a few that you'd like to share with our listeners. Yeah, well, I, I do. I have quite a few. Some are in the book, but some have happened since. I'll tell you one that's happened since, and that was on his birthday. And I was going, because, you know, feathers, butterflies, you know, we see a lot of them and you can go, well, no, I think that's it. You can take it as a sign and I think we should, because it helps. But sometimes you're like, yeah, well, there was probably a bird and whatever. But it was his birthday and my husband and I were going for a walk. And I, in my head, I went, Harry, send me a sign, not just some random feather, okay, but a, like a really, really good sign. And we were walking through our local park and I saw this, this bush and, and it was white. And I thought, that's weird. It's green leaves. And I thought, that's a bit strange. And as we got near, I thought, what is that? It's covered with something. And it was covered with hundreds and hundreds of feathers. <laughs> and I'd actually said to him, I don't mean a random feather. And I could hear him go, yeah, all right, mum. Not just a random feather. <laughs> and it was amazing. And then these feathers sort of would get off down the path and people were remarking on it. And they were going, wow, well, where have all these feathers come from? This is really weird. They go right down there. And it was just rather extraordinary. So I took that as a sign. But yeah, I mean, oh gosh, so many signs. Will you tell me one that you remember? Is there one in particular that you'd like me to tell? No, I mean, I think that one's really cool because even though you were like, not a feather, you know, it's like, it's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> Lunch game. It wasn't just the one, right? So how could you miss that? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, I think that that's wonderful. So where can people find your book and how can they get a hold of you if they would like to be coached by you and sit with you and, you know, speak about their grief and have you help them? Okay, well, I've got the book here. I'll share you. And you want to see it, if you can see very well. There it is. So it's available now in the UK and the US. It's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the UK, Waterstones. So you can get it anywhere you buy books, really. So yeah, my holistic grief coaching. I've I've got a where I've got two websites. So the, the website for the book, and as I said, I've got a second book coming out next year, is www.vanessamay.co.uk. And if you're interested in holistic grief coaching, then it's www.wellbeingandnutrition.co.uk. And I post about grief on Instagram, which is at may.wellbeing. So please connect with me there as well, wherever you, and I like to just, I just like to hear from people. So, you know, I, I think the grief community is pretty amazing in supporting um, one another. So, you know, anyone's welcome to contact me if they want to. Well, thank you, Vanessa. It was really lovely to hear your story and to meet Harry through you and love the book that you have written that I know will help a lot of people and hopefully more people in the UK. I know you had said in your book that you found quite a few books, but they were more written from authors in the States and you were really yeah. trying to find a connection to people who were bereaved in the UK. So now there's a book out there. 
Yeah, but but for anyone anywhere, right? Uh, you right. know, it's Greece is universal after all. But yes, yes. So thank you, thank you so much for being a guest today, and thank you all for listening. I hope you know if you haven't lost a child, thank God, or maybe you know of a friend or a family member who has. Maybe this episode can be a really nice resource for them. Please feel free to share. And I thank you all so much for listening and being a part of the Path 11 podcast family. And I will bring you another amazing guest next week. Take care, everyone, and have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com. And be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.